Before we start the show, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Their support keeps this show free for you. Armoire makes getting dressed easy with a clothing rental membership from Armoire. Build the perfect wardrobe and brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take the five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then, when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. I ordered the cutest red coat and wore it to a birthday party last week. I got so many compliments. It was stylish and cozy and comfy. Just what I like. Whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best dressed person in the room without ever having to brave a fitting room with fluorescent lights. Yeah. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style forward slash peace. That is armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash peace to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. I came to parenting with everything I learned in childhood, yelling, punishing, controlling, and shaming. After trying almost every method, I found connective parenting and was totally shocked when empathy, listening, doing away with rewards and consequences, and being a safe place actually worked. It moved the behaviors of my children and it felt good, especially with my very strong-willed and highly sensitive oldest daughter. This podcast was born out of the idea of sharing the message and helping parents find more peace in a modern world. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. So glad you're here. Welcome back to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm Michelle, and I'm so glad you're here today. And I just wanted to thank all of the listeners out there for tuning in each week and listening to me ramble on about parenting. So thank you so very much. And thank you for all the lovely reviews and ratings I've been getting lately. I so very much appreciate it. I want to talk about the six phrases that should be completely eliminated from parenting. They're ones that drive me crazy. And I just want to go into a little bit of depth as to why. And just know upfront, I've used every single one of these phrases at some point and now realize that they can be kind of detrimental to our kids. So the first one is use your words. Usually we ask children to use their words when they are really upset and no child can access their thinking brain when they're having a hard time or a meltdown or completely losing it. The prefrontal cortex in those moments goes completely offline and the ability to think well is also offline. So asking a child to use their words doesn't really work because they can't even access their words. They can't access their higher level thinking. So there's no way for them to find the words to go with those emotions. Often it's unrealistic even for an adult to do that. So when we're asking our child to find their words or use their words, we're also asking them to abandon their feelings and move out of their feeling brain and move into their thinking brain because it pleases us because we can't either handle the upset or we think that they should be able to process. We think that they should be able to, you know, name their feelings 
And then if they name their feelings, then they are able to get through their feelings. But realistically, we're asking them to abandon their feelings and to ignore those and to come back to their thinking brain and find the words to match their feelings. And I'm not so sure why we want that to to happen. I think that it's because the feelings are overwhelming and the tantrum is overwhelming and we want our child to just calm down. I think if we take a different avenue that might be helpful because I don't think a child's going to be able to say, well, mom and dad, I'm not doing well right now. That fight I had with my sister was really bothering me and I'm I'm unable to self-regulate at the moment. Please forgive me. I don't think that's going to happen. And I certainly don't know if that is good for our kid and good for their emotionality and good for their emotional well-being. I think that a better stance might be to say, hey, I see you. I'm right here. I know this is hard. I'm not going to leave you when you're having a hard time. And then can we allow them to have all of their feelings instead of forcing them out of their emotions and into their logic and reasoning? Can we let them process their feelings and come to their words when and if they are ready? Often kids don't know how they feel. In fact, this is true for adults as well. Naming the feelings and using words doesn't really do much for a child unless they come to that on their own and not be forced to do so. So instead of saying, using your words, we can say, I'm right here and I understand you're having a hard time. Okay, number two. This one makes me insane. You get what you get and you don't get upset. Really? Is that how it is in life? I mean, let's think about it. When we don't get what we want, we get upset and we are able to have our feelings. I do anyway. And those are real feelings. And this phrase is just telling a child that you don't have a right to be upset when things don't go your way. You don't have a right to be upset when you don't get what you want. And those feelings are invalid and they're not real and they need to be stuffed or smushed or set aside because they're not allowed here. And disappointment for a child is something real. Disappointment for us is something real. And we should be able to have our disappointment unfettered. And this allows a child to know that I can feel disappointed about X, Y, or Z. And I can have my parents with me saying, oh man, you really wanted that toy. You really wanted that place in the play. You really wanted to be able to go to your friend's house. I understand it's hard and that you can't. If we can be there with them and if we can solidify this this idea that we are safe, and then they're going to come to us with their disappointment instead of, you know, shoving their disappointment or ignoring their disappointment or thinking that disappointment isn't real or isn't logical or has no place in their life. And I think sometimes we want to fix things. We want to make them better. We want to tell them, it's okay. You don't need to be disappointed about this play. You'll get a big part in the next play. But that doesn't allow a child to feel bad about what's happening right now. Can we come to them within their upset moments and be with them? Think of it like this. What do you want to hear when you encounter disappointment? Do you want your best friend to say, oh, well, that job wasn't that great. You'll get the next one. Or does it feel better to hear? I'm so sorry you didn't get that job. You must be really disappointed. I understand. I'm right here. That feels in my world a little bit better than just 
ignoring or denying or trying to fix the feelings around disappointment. Are you looking for ways to parent without yelling or threatening? Do you crave to understand connection and how to use it in everyday practice with your children? Is remaining calm a challenge and staying away from shame hard? I can be helpful. I've been there and I've also helped so many parents overcome their parenting challenges with my one-on-one programs of either six, eight, or 10 weeks. We dive into what's specifically difficult in your own family and I tailor ways to help you remedy them using connection instead of conventional parenting methods. Go to www.peaceandparentingla.com forward slash private hyphen sessions and find out more about my private one-on-one courses. I'd love to see you there. Okay. Number three, because I said so. Uh. This one makes me insane. And I'm certain I've said it. I know I've said it. I know I've said it as a teacher. Even I can remember specifically saying it as a teacher. And I feel, you know, a bit shameful around that, but I didn't know any better. So I know many of us have used these phrases and there's no shame here. We're just going to learn a little bit of information about these phrases and hopefully we can get them out of our, our vocabulary. When a child asks why, sometimes we say, because I said so. Really, does this mean that a child should not question authority, that a child should not question what an adult says, that they have to accept everything that an adult says as being right or as being all-knowing? Does the adult have all of the information? Is the adult always telling the truth? Is the adult saying what is right all of the time? And do we have to assume that or does our child have to accept that because they are an adult and because that adult said so. And will a child eventually accept an adult statement or an adult's actions or maybe even not a child, but will an adult, well, if you've learned this as a child, as an adult, will you just accept others' actions and other statements because that person is in power? And does this create like this idea of just blind compliance and a loss of self? So when we say, because I said so, and we're using it as this way to tell a child that you have to do what I say, no matter what, what are the implications of that? As far as even you could go as far as saying consent, when we don't allow our children to stand up to adults and we don't allow them to question authority, are we putting them in an unsafe and precarious situation? Okay. Number four, I'm your parent, not your friend. I keep thinking about this one and I keep thinking, what does that even mean? I was trying to think, why would somebody say that? Why would you say, I'm your parent, not your friend? And I hear people saying it and I think people say it because they've heard it and somehow it sounds right or it sounds good or it's come from somebody that that they respect. I think in my mind, what we're trying to say is that when I say I'm your parent, not your friend, I have this license to be unkind and I have a past to be use unfettered authority. And I have a past to punish you or shame you because I wouldn't do that to a friend, but I would do it to somebody who I feel power over. It almost says like, I can treat you less than because I would never treat a friend less than, but I'm treating you less than with less respect, with less dignity, because I'm your parent and I'm an authority figure and I'm not your confidant. I'm not your comrade. I'm above you. And it's weird because, you know, we, we treat a child that way, like we have power and control over them, 
but then we want them to confide in us. We want them to, you know, we want to be their safe space. We want them to come and be in our world with us but we also want to treat them poorly. So it doesn't really breed the, the kind of behavior or the kind of relationship that we're trying to get. And we, you can't really have both. You can't treat somebody with control and disrespect and then also expect them to respect you or to view your relationship as something important or good if you're not giving it to them. We want our children to believe that we're a safe place. And I want my children to believe that I am their friend. And I want them to believe that we live in this relationship together that feels good. Does this mean I don't have boundaries or rules? No, I definitely have boundaries and rules, but I have boundaries and rules in my friendships. I just don't enforce those boundaries and rules with punishments and manipulations and unkindness. I enforce those boundaries and rules similarly in my relationship with my friends and in my relationship with my kids with kindness, with empathy and with thoughtfulness. So I do have limits and boundaries, both with my friends and with my children, but I don't threaten or belittle or bribe or punish or manipulate either my friends or my children. So in my mind, my kids are my best friends. They are the people in which I have the deepest relationships were with. Sure. Those friendships are difficult at times. We all make mistakes, but also in our good friendships, we make mistakes and our, our friends have room for us to make mistakes and to repair and to rupture. And we aren't perfect in our friendships, nor with our children. And I think when we say this um, statement, I'm your parent, not your friend, we also, if there's an understanding that we are in control and we are the authority and we can make all the mistakes, but we are not obliged to apologize or to make amends because we're not your friend. We are your parent. And so that gives us unfettered control and gives us, doesn't allow for us to accept responsibility for our actions. So in my mind, I am my child's friend and I kind of denounce this idea that I'm not just their parent, but that I'm trying to form a deep friendship with them. Okay, number five, children should be seen and not heard. Unless, of course, your teacher asks you a question, an adult wants a straight answer, or you have been caught in a lie. Talk when I tell you, and the rest of the time be quiet and compliant so you can make my life easier. Is this the message we're trying to get across to our children? Is this how we want them to interact? as they become adults, or even as they become adolescents? Do we not value their voice and opinion and their thoughts and their feelings? Do we want the good and the bad and the hard things too, or do we just want what's easy? We can't expect children to only talk when spoken to if we want forward-thinking, creative thought makers. Let them be heard even when it's hard, and let them have a voice. Let them say their opinion, let them voice what's going on let them tell you their creative thought, but you can't have it all. You can't have a child that is seen and not heard, or you can't just hear the things you want to say or hear the things that you think are acceptable or that you want them to say or to respond to. You have to accept it all. And, and as children are young, they're, they're growing their ability to speak, they're growing their 
thoughtfulness, their growing, their ideas, and some of it might swing way too far to one side and some of it might swing way too far to the other side. They might have really strong opinions about things at certain times in their lives. And, and so do we, and, and that's okay. So children should be seen and heard, but you have to hear it all. You have to hear the back talk and the sass and all of the things that go along with being an immature kid in this world and trying to learn their ways. So I don't think so many people use this one, but I, I, I definitely think my parents have used it, that children should be seen and not heard and that that was kind of the ideal. And it's a, just an unrealistic way to think about rearing our kids. And finally, do what I say, not what I do. Hmm. This gives adults full reign to kind of do whatever they want, even if it's morally questionable, while holding children to this higher standard than, than even parents who are full grown and know better with mature brains and life experience. Children learn through modeling, regardless of what we say or think, they're watching everything we do. So to say this phrase is kind of useless. A child will mimic you and absorb what you're doing no matter what. So what are you modeling? Are you modeling yelling? Are you modeling manipulation? Or or are you modeling kindness? Are you modeling grace? Are you modeling restraint in really difficult moments? Are you modeling good sibling relationships with your own sibling and with your spouse? Are you modeling a good relationship? And what are you teaching them by just being there? What are they seeing? And when we say, do what I say and not what I do, it's almost futile because they're definitely going to do what we do. I remember I was a yeller and occasionally I still yell when I don't want to. But when I was really deep into my yelling, Eventually, Esme became a yeller too. And she started yelling back right at me. And I, it was in those moments where I finally realized the detriments of my yelling that she was starting to yell too. And my only recourse was to yell louder or to be harsh or to be more unkind or to implement more punishments. And it got us into this really bad place. And it's the same with spanking. If you, if you spank your child, is your child hitting their sibling? Are they hitting their friends? Who are they hitting? And what do they view as hitting? And and if your child's hitting and then you're hitting them back, what is it that you're teaching them? So whatever we're doing in front of our children or to our children, they are absorbing and that will become part of their personality or part of their characteristic traits or part of their way in which they interact with others. So this phrase really doesn't make any sense whatsoever, although I think it just gives parents, again, a right to do whatever they want, moral or immoral, and they're just telling their kids, like, it doesn't matter what I do. I've told you, don't do what I do, do what I say. Okay, I think those are the top six phrases that should be completely eliminated from parenting. I hope they were helpful and gave you some alternative ways to interact or react to your kids. Thank you for joining me on the Peace and Parenting podcast, and I can't wait to see you next time. 